0: Hello, hello! Right, this is our open marketing podcast series for Behind the Fluff podcast from the International Bunch. It's specifically for those in marketing, those interested in marketing, those in academic publishing, scholarly comms, and libraries. Who are we going to be talking with today? Katie Alexander and Simon Holt, both working in the industry but here to represent a very important initiative, Publishing Enabled. Katie and Simon explore with us about providing a safe space for people with a disability in the publishing industry, highlighting the positives that having a disability can have. So for example, adaptable thinking, improving how we do marketing and how we think about communications, opportunities arising from COVID-19, so flexibility, acceptance, and adaptability, the need for buy-in at a senior leadership level for culture to change within an organization tools to measure accessibility and what you should be thinking about and trying out for yourself. The importance of providing information in different ways as people access and consume content in a variety of ways. And digital marketing that lets us constantly test, tweak and improve what we're doing. And normalizing disability, the key to creating an inclusive culture, incredibly important. As someone that actually suffers from dyslexia, this was Very, very interesting for me and is an amazing cause. So let's just go and jump straight in. Let's go. Welcome, everybody, to the Behind the Fluff podcast. Now, you can find out lots of great resources on our website, www.internationalbunch.com forward slash be inspired. Now, back in October, we ran a masterclass about incorporating inclusion into your communication strategy uh, which can be found on our YouTube channel. And we've got a link in the description. Now, Jason Climo, a fellow marketeer and inclusion consultant gave me some great advice for that masterclass, including about the social model of disability. Now we've included, as I mentioned, a link to it in the description. So make sure that you check it out. But in today's podcast, we're going to be following on from that with a masterclass and a chat with Katie Alexandra and Simon Holt, both working in the industry but here to represent a very important initiative, Publishing Enabled. Simon and Katie are going to provide valuable insights and perspectives to us as marketers to communicate better. So welcome, Simon and Katie. Hi, thanks for having us. Good to be here. Fantastic. Right. Now, before we get started, I have one question for each of you. And something we ask everyone before we do a podcast, we have a campaign that we do every day, which is called hashtag word of the day. And we post a word of the day on our social channels. You can imagine doing 364 of those can be quite a task. So poor Yasmin, but she's been doing an amazing job. But what we'd love to know is out of all the words in the world, Simon, what is your favorite word and what does it mean?
1: Uh, my favourite word is laughter, because I think without laughter, the world is a pretty joyless place. Um, and I think that it's one of those quite emotional words. Yeah. Um, and I think that it, it's there are a few words, actually, that just have universal positivity. But I yeah. think that is one. And so um, I try and get even a little bit of laughter in every day, even throughout these um, strange corona
0: lockdown times. Absolutely. You don't like go to some kind of. You don't do like a uh, some kind of laughter therapy, do you? Where you just sit there and randomly start laughing.
1: What well, like uh, in a kind of madcap laughs, laughs kind of yes. way.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness! Just like I just did then, but yeah, <laughs> people do that as a form of release, don't they?
1: Yeah, I mean, people say to me they have quite a distinctive laughs, so maybe you'll you'll see that later on. Oh, Let's yeah, see how maybe. this pans out.
0: We get you
2: laughing. Mm. That would be awesome, and um, Katie, what about yourself? um this was I found this really difficult, uh, but i I think it's serendipity, so mm-hmm. one, I just like the way it sounds um, but also uh, I'm a generally positive person, and I think I love this word because it conveys the the kind of the beauty and the adventure that the small and big kind of chance occurrences can bring bring to life, and it's yeah. not just in life but even in i guess if you think about The industry we work in, it's all those unexpected discoveries that have just changed the world.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Two brilliant words. So now what I'd love to hear more about, and I know that the audience would as well, is talk to me more about Publishing Enabled. Why was it founded?
1: I can go first on this. So we, Katie and I and a couple of other people, felt that um, we wanted a space within the publishing industry where people could feel supported um, that have a disability or have caring responsibilities who are interested in this area and also um, where we could maybe provide some resources um, in terms of best practice. We feel that for other demographics, whether that's gender or race or LGBT there are some quite um, cogent communities within the industry, but we felt that was missing for disability. I think disability is something where um, not only can people feel a bit on their own with it sometimes, but also I think it can be quite tricky um, to convey disability in a positive light because every time you meet somebody, inevitably you end up talking about what you can't do rather than what you can do. So we wanted to provide a positive voice for the publishing industry where we talk about um, the strengths and the skills like problem-solving, adaptability, um, thinking in a different way that having a disability has given us in order to show the value of people within the publishing industry and so that those people are able to feel more supported whatever company they're at and to feel like they're part of something. Um, and not on their own and left
2: out. Yep. Is there anything you want to add to that, Katie? No, I think Simon summed it up beautifully.
0: So if you have people in the industry who um, what you've said
2: really resonates with them, is there a good way for them to contact you? Yeah, so at the moment, um, we are working on a website, uh, but we do have a live LinkedIn page. So you can contact us through there um, or you can email either Simon or myself um, and we'll be happy to, to get back and answer any questions.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. So tell me um, now, um, is, I've got my question here and I'm thinking it's quite similar to what we talked about or what Simon's just talked about. But I wonder, is there, in terms of the actual emotional passionate side of things, tell me more about where your passion to be part of Publishing Enable comes from. So Katie, if we start with you.
2: Hmm. Um, I think there's a few reasons. One is I kind of just want to make things easier for the generations that are coming. Mm -hmm. So the, you know, starting out a career. Um, So I spent so many years working and I've, it's been, you know, 20 plus years now in the industry and I concealed my disability through most of it because I was, you know, for various reasons, some of them personal, kind of that feeling, feeling of ashamed and uh, thinking less of myself, thinking you know I had to prove myself, um, also reacting to reactions that other people might have if they did find out that I was dyslexic. So I think part of it was trying to help change and have a more positive view on all the things that we do bring was so important to me, so that you know other people starting out their career just have an easier time and just cle- we clear up a lot of these misconceptions that are out there. Absolutely, and Simon.
1: Yeah, that's what it was about for me, too. I found it quite challenging to get into the publishing industry, um, mainly looking back because a lot of hiring processes and interviews were set up in a way that I couldn't really access. I'm visually impaired. So an example would be um, if we was applying for a job as uh, something like an editorial assistant um, that didn't involve proofreading, you'd have a proofreading test to test kind of general publishing competence. Well, that's great if that's part of your job, but pretty irrelevant if you're not. And obviously, mm. as someone who's visually impaired, that will be impossible for mm. me. So I want to make it easier for the next um, generation. But also, as I've moved through my career, I realized that a lot of the things that I thought were weaknesses in terms of being mm. uh, having a disability actually were strengths And the reason that I've been able to do things differently or been successful is not despite having a disability, it's because of having a disability. And actually for me, I thought, well, hold on here. There is an opportunity, not just for individuals, but for businesses um, to really make use of a talent pool that they're not taking advantage of. Um, And therefore I think that we have a role to play in educating um, people and maybe changing um, some of the stereotypes.
0: It's fantastic. Um, So you have an article that you've done in Scholarly Kitchen, which we'll include a link to as well in the description. And it's a fantastic article. And you discussed about culture and lack of awareness being behind the poor representation of people living with disabilities in the scholarly publishing industry. Now, that was two years ago. How have things changed and what has been done to establish or even progress change?
2: So that's, um, one, I can't believe it's been two years. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> um, it may be that the last 12 months are a bit of a blur. So it's kind of as time is still. Um, and I don't know if it's because I'm looking for it now or more people are generally talking about it, but I do feel like there's more of a discussion happening um, around it. And I've seen more kind of EDI policies coming up where disability is a bit more of a focus. I think there's still a very long way to go. I think it's kind of just starting out, um, but I think, and hopefully I'm not just seeing things because I'm focusing on it more, but I do feel like there's a lot more discussion in the industry around dis- disability within publishing.
1: I'd agree with that. I think attitudes have changed a lot. Attitudes are changing from can't do to can do. Yeah. Um, I think that there is a greater culture within the industry generally of D, E and I and bring your whole self to work. And um, I think actually one of the um, few advantages of the COVID crisis is that people have been forced to be a lot more flexible about work and about their working environments and Mm -hmm. conditions. And therefore, not just with disability, but with all kinds of different situations. Um, it means that workplaces, I think, are a lot more flexible and willing to make uh, adjustments and adaptations. I think, as Katie said, there's a long way to go, and I think there's still quite a gap between wanting to do the right thing and then knowing what the right thing to do is and having policies in place. But I think that um, I can at least have a discussion now and say, you know, these are some issues And these are some proposed solutions and be taken seriously as opposed to in the past where it's been, you know, that's very nice, but we can't really help you because you don't fit into our traditional way of doing things.
0: Mm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, And you're right. You know, EDI is very much more, much higher on the agenda than it used to be. I mean, I've been to several EDI sessions, but I think, You know, outside of this podcast and our discussion here, you know, we chatted, um, us three, um, I don't know, a few weeks ago and talking about the landscape with EDI and the importance of. And it was interesting when we were chatting, I think Simon, one of the things that you had highlighted to me, which I then went on to go and I went to an EDI workshop straight after we chatted and I took some of that feedback that we were talking about in there into that session And I think one of the really interesting points that really resonate with me and still sits with me and will sit with me for a while is when you'd mentioned about it's fantastic to see the progress that is happening um, with EDI. um, But when we're looking at representations from companies and organizations and institutions, it's about how exactly are they adopting this moving forward. And it's not just about having someone to be a representative, but it's actually starting to think about building teams and having people who are responsible for it at the top, and then who are ensuring that there's an overarching strategy across the organisation, because, I mean, this podcast is obviously marketing related, but, um, and is listened to by others outside of marketing in the publishing industry and beyond. But actually, EDI touches everything and anything, any, any of us do. So it's really important. And that, that really, I was so pleased that we had that discussion because I took that as feedback into the working group that I went into because it's so important that, they, that organizations start thinking about this in a really committed way.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that hits the nail on the head because companies, if they truly want to get or they truly believe in it, they need unequivocal an an leadership buy-in and consensus yeah. for their initiatives. And they have to understand that they're actually critical to business success. Yeah. So if you don't have buy-in at that leadership level, the levels below aren't going to prioritize the programs. They're not going to be essential because they don't fit into business metrics on which the organization is, is measured. So if you don't have these initiatives, diversity, inclusion, disability, and they're not a founding principle, and even I'd say should be part of the measurable compensation um, at a leadership level, then you're not going to get the change. You will just get lip service and and, um, ticking the boxes. So it it has to come from the CEO and the leadership team. And it has to be part of your business objectives, measurements, and compensation. That's True embrace for me, that's yeah. what I believe is when you've truly embraced as an organization um, your initiative.
1: It also has to be a proactive thing that yep. you're thinking about at every stage of the employee life cycle or every stage of product development. Exactly, that you're not just dealing with problems retroactively as they arise. Actually, mm-hmm. it's about getting it right first time. So, from a, a product point of view, um, it you know, or, or a content point of view, it's much cheaper and easier to get it right first time than have to deal with it later when there's a problem.
0: Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So thinking about that, um, uh, is there any specific advice that you think organizations should start thinking about first or anything that you would recommend to organizations as um, something that they can take inspiration
2: from or use as benchmarks? I mean, I would say it has to, like it it has to be at the ceo and senior leadership level and it has to be it has to be part of your your business success and so like simon was saying it has to be part of your product development it has to be if you make it part of your business the the critical kind of criteria for business success and compensation mm-hmm. you'll start to put it everywhere and mm-hmm. you can start with um you know small changes and then you start to build it into your product, product roadmaps. You start to build it into some of your marketing. You start to build it into your HR practices because it ends up becoming an objective for every single department. Yes, exactly. Um, and then so, yeah, so, I mean, that would be my, my recommendation.
1: I think for me, um, we have to understand that accessibility um, more explicitly Also, inclusive behaviors, but thinking about from a product point of view, obviously, as a visually impaired person, accessibility is quite important. We have to stop treating it as a nice-to-have, and we have to start treating it as a compliance thing. There are free tools out there, like the Wave tool, for example, that I'd really recommend that is free and that does um, an accessibility review of any website or online material. Um, I would recommend you use it there's um, obviously guidelines, accessibility guidelines that are in place as well. And I think that far too often um, there are conversations like, you know, well, we can either make it accessible or we could add um, a new feature. Well, actually, there's no point in having a new feature if a significant proportion of your users can't actually access the product um, that you're creating.
0: Mm. Absolutely. Um, and I think one of the interesting things when I went to that working group and I gave that specific feedback and we started um, having some further discussions, what when, when people are very much focused and thinking about we need to have um, different representation from different communities and people of different disabilities, for example, et cetera, in these different areas, what happens is, is because sometimes you're dealing with minority groups These people are often targeted the most to do things, and it's actually also about being careful and considered. Because this was for um, this was with um, some librarians. I did this, and uh, one of the librarians said, "You know, I'm normally the first port of call because of my colour, and um, actually, it should be the respect. You know, maybe there's a more that maybe there's a better approach. And I think publishing enabled is a fantastic example of that that people can come to you. And they can go um, to the website once you've done it and they can find resources and have a central area that they can seek this sort of advice from and support. So, um, so for marketers, because marketers are generally dealing with communication a lot and it could be internal communication, could be external communication, of course, all of us are doing internal communication. Um, And so this will resonate with not just marketers, but anyone that's doing anything. And even editorial are managing social media channels, for example, for their journals. It's not always marketing, just depends on your organization. So um, when we think about communication through online media, email marketing, anything that falls under the category of digital marketing, um, are there things that you think marketers
2: should be mindful of? Um, I guess I'll go first. Um, I think first, I think the as as marketers, we have to be mindful of is most of the changes that need to be made to be in, to, to to have an inclusive marketing campaign benefit everybody, right? Mm-hmm. it's It's just it benefits everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some kind of easy wins, um and there's some things that you know need to be put into part of a workflow. Once you have them into your workflow in your process, it will become easier over time. Um, And just a kind of a few things uh, to think about are are things like Simon suggested, you can put your website through, you know, how accessible is it? Um, Have you ever tried using your website without a mouse? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, uh, You know, things like. with a screen reader. With a screen reader, exactly. Um, You know. Use alt texts on your images on social. And there's a lot of great resources on how you can do this in Twitter. Um, Hootsuite makes it really easy if you use platforms like Hootsuite. Um, be mindful of you know, PDFs. And you know, I say this, but you know, I'm still trying to find great alternatives to PDFs for things like white papers and reports, but PDFs are not always the best. You know, if, and also too much copy. Your language does not have to be overcomplicated. Use simple words and shorter text. And I know in publishing, especially, especially academic publishing, we do love our big words and our jargon. (laughs) But, (laughs) you know, we don't, you don't have to always use them, right? You can, you can cut them down. You can have plain, simple language. Always have a great executive summary for those of us who might struggle with reading a little bit more than others. Uh, Think about different medium. Can you do something in a video, you know, or podcast? Have captions. Um, So there's, I think there's a, there's actually quite a lot that can be done that really doesn't take that much extra time.
1: I think for me, just building on what Katie said, actually the point to make here is not a disability point, it's a human being point. And that is different people access information, access content in different ways, right? So there's no point in creating a, a video if you're not going to have closed captions and you're going to have a voiceover. You can have closed captions and that's great. I won't be able to read it though, you can have a voiceover and that's fine, mm-hmm. but a deaf person won't be able to listen to it. Actually, what we, what you need to think about here are, are both. And I think the not only but also approach is actually quite important here. Um, thinking about the different ways that people access content. So for me, that's a screen reader, so it's quite important that um, content works with that. But for other people, they will access it visually or, as Casey said, prefer it in a more prescient um, format, et etc and so i I can my kind of challenge to the people listening to this is just to think about how many different ways can you present this content to the reader,
2: yeah. and
1: that will give it the best opportunity of getting through
2: yeah yeah you'll yeah. you'll yeah i I agree you'll just you'll reach more people because you're gonna which from, from a business perspective, if we even just take it down to pure business, it increases your potential customer pool.
0: Yeah.
2: So and, it's, and it's kind of a win-win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, some marketers will be thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm so pressured that I've got to get this out by this date. And it's like, well, you know, you're just going to have to start planning this in. But
2: we have- But that's, I think, sorry to interrupt, but I think that's also why leadership is important, right? Like you, if it also becomes part of your workflow and- There's lots of areas in my daily marketing, which I know I need to improve on from an accessibility point, but starting to make them just part of your process when you do something in the end, it's, it's fast, right? It just becomes something you do, but then there's also, that's where the leadership buy-in is important because if you're going to do campaigns or launch a product or the, if the accessibility is part of it and it's part of your business success criteria, that time will be built, the time to do it will be built in and it's not that much extra time. And it's it's also,
1: Sorry sorry. sorry sorry, to butt in. Um, it's also not just about people with disabilities. So if you add subtitles or closed captions, for example, that doesn't just help um, someone who's deaf, it also helps somebody for whom English isn't a first language, mm-hmm. or it helps somebody for whom, um, you know, the, they don't understand an accent. Or frankly, it just helps lots of people watching that on their commute in the days that we had commuting. Um or elsewhere where sound isn't an option. I think I read that mm. for people between 18 and 25, two uh, two-thirds of videos are watched without any sound.
0: Yeah, eight and um, social media is watched without sound. I right. Mean, yeah. So no, why
1: that's... would you want to miss out on that large percentage of exactly. your target audience?
0: Yeah. Mm. But you see, even with the time pressure, so my point that I was going to make was people you know, may think, oh, well, actually, we've got enough technology to help us. And once you refine your process, it actually isn't as time intensive as you think. So you look at Zoom, for example, and Zoom, when you do a recording, it automatically does an audio version. It does your video version. And you can also, if you uh, use a paid version, it will transcribe for you. With our webinars that we do now, I've started, um, I have the PowerPoint automatically doing my captions. So that they're there on the screen because we stream live to YouTube, and I and even though okay, sometimes it doesn't get my words, you know, I can forgive it. Sometimes it's just it's it's just about thinking a bit more inclusively for everyone and not just doing it because you think you're ticking a box.
2: But it's really it's, important. I think it is, but it's also the the long one of the things that I I, I often I often try to to tell kind of marketing teams as well is. Once once it's part of your process, it'll go faster, but you also have to think about it from long-term impact because a lot of the big players like Google out there, are they constantly change their algorithms. They constantly kind of make tweaks. They're going more and more towards user-friendly, accessible criteria. So if your website with the new changes, I think the Google page experience updates that are coming soon, alt text on your images, it's going to really drop you down. If you don't have those, right? So all of these things, if if you're trying to say, Oh, it's gonna take me time, just think about down the road when you have to go to a website and update thousands of alt text images. Now that's gonna take time. So yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think, yeah.
1: I think also though, let not the perfect be the enemy of the good. Yeah. Um, and one thing I want to say to the people who are watching this is using um Lou's example of the closed captioning, the automated closed captioning, yeah, it doesn't get everything right, but it gets about 90% of the words right. And that means that somebody watching um, can access 90% more of that material than they couldn't before. And I think sometimes we're afraid to embrace these things because it's not absolutely perfect. Um, And my message is it's definitely much better than not doing anything at all.
0: I agree. I'll and second you that just can change it can't you i mean we live in an agile world now and it's funny simon that you say that and what the trend that i'm seeing from different clients that i'm working with it's not about putting out exceptional marketing anymore it's about putting out good solid marketing but it's getting it out there and it's looking and measuring what you're doing and changing it so it's not that perfectionist um, approach anymore and and i think and we talked about this just before we started this is that since being in a global pandemic, um, as a community, as a world, as a society, we're a lot more empathetic and sympathetic mm-hmm. to the environments that we find ourselves in now and of the people on a call and the distractions around. Uh, someone, um, I was on a call earlier and someone's computer, like, it wobbled like that. So Simon, I'm just wobbling my screen. And I said, and I, and I didn't even notice really. I mean, I did in the back of my mind, but I didn't didn't phase me. And she was like, "Oh, I'm so sorry, you know, my screen wobbled. And, um, you know, because I'm leaning on decimal. Well, I didn't even notice, to be honest, because I, I don't even notice that stuff anymore. So I think that's an incredibly powerful point that you guys have just made. Um, what are the things? So how does digital marketing provide more opportunities to be inclusive was my next question. And in some ways, you've already answered that in terms of the types of content in terms of the format of content and how it can be disseminated and Simon i think you touched on that mm. really well talking about the different types of content for people with specific disabilities as well are there any other opportunities that you think that digital marketing has for inclusivity
2: i think you can test with more ease as well so if you know if you've done a campaign and it's not quite right and I totally second Simon's. It doesn't need to be perfect. You know, you you can tweak it. Sometimes you can go back and even edit. You know, you upload a video to YouTube. If your description, you know, go in and edit it. You can't do that if you've already printed a couple thousand flyers. Um, change the font size if you're finding that it's it's not the right size. Um, if you're working in graphs, which I think is important for a lot of kind of academic academics and and within publishing, just checking the. Um, the accessibility of the different colors you use in your graph with online apps, uh, which is really helpful or, or tweak them if you get any feedback. So y- you're just able to offer kind of a wider variety of content to meet user needs regardless of disability, but you're also able to to measure, tweak, iterate and just you know keep testing and improving.
1: One thing I, I would definitely agree with this. Um, one thing I would say is think about contrast um, specifically Mm -hmm. and think about that the colors that you have on your wire, or whatever may not be the colors that people are accessing the material in because on their computer, they might invert the colors or they might have a different color scheme that they can see better. Now, how do you make that work? We make that work by having good contrast. Poor contrast means that nobody's reading the material. Um, And so whilst you Mm. might think that your, you know, green on yellow looks absolutely fab, um, actually, it looks absolutely fab to, you know, the the kind of half of people who are able to read it and really not very fab to the large amount of people who can't read it. So I think that's something I'd throw in
0: there as well. You had said to me um, separately about uh, black text on white background may be inverted, so it's actually black background with white text, is that yeah. yeah. And actually something else that you've mentioned to me, which I think is really worth um, talking about is, we've talked about in the past um, about imagery and something I think you had said was um, like a default that people do when you're looking at disability <laughs> is having an image of a person in a wheelchair. Mm. And I mm. have been exactly, I have done that. Uh, With our um, with our YouTube and uh, which I've now changed, and um, I went for you know a stock image of someone in a wheelchair because that in my head that was like oh you know because I think also because the consultant that you know I'd worked with he also was in a wheelchair but yeah I think that's really important when you said that Simon.
1: Uh, Well, I think eighty percent of disabilities are hidden, so non-visible, and therefore it's, I think that look the wheelchair is a well-recognized symbol but I think it also stereotypes um, in terms of it only takes into account one type of disability yes. um, and I think part of what we were saying at the beginning about creating a positive image is enablement um, and so another um, another symbol of the disability movement is the is the kind of triple bar um, the kind of Uh, the E um, which means equivalency of the same value to, and for me that Mm. speaks to more what disability is about Mm. rather than um, the wheelchair which I think is quite narrow um, and probably isn't representative of you know quite a lot of people with disabilities.
0: Um, in the past, um, I know that you've mentioned a, a good resource place to go, Katie. Do um, mm-hmm. you remember it was to do with um, images and it was UK based?
2: Yeah. So um, UK Black Tech have a great stock pool of images um, and they created that, it's free images, because they noticed that there was a lack of diversity in images when it came to the tech, um, kind of the tech industry. Yeah. Um, And maybe we should do something like that for disability. (laughs) That
1: would be great, wouldn't it? That
2: would be great. Um, But I think a lot of the images could just be of anyone, right? Because with 80% being hidden disabilities. Yeah.
1: But one thing, exactly, and one thing I I wanted to note is actually when you go on a lot of websites or you see a lot of uh, advertising, wheelchairs or no wheelchairs, but actually the only images of people with disabilities you ever see tend to be on accessibility pages um, or where, you know, a company's talking explicitly about their equal opportunities policies, actually normalising disability and inclusion of disability means that you have um, people with different disabilities, uh, just the same as you would have people of different ethnic minorities, et cetera, Mm -hmm. um, all over your website.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's an incredible point to make. And actually, I think there's a few things that we've discussed so far that people can have some takeaway from and start doing now. Um, But I think that's probably one of the most important takeaways for me is actually really mixing up and changing your imagery. And I think sometimes when I look at imagery um, and I see what um, marketeers are doing, a lot of it focuses on colour for example. And actually, it's more than that. And when you look at EDI, EDI is so much more than that. And Katie, you know, to go to the example of you talking about your dyslexia, mm. um, you know, that's, that's something that just people aren't thinking about that side. They're thinking, you know, oh, it has to be, you know, physically outside, just like what Simon was saying, or it has to be how you look. And that yeah. physically outside is also about how what people see, if they're you know, looking at you. So
2: yeah. And I think I think a lot of it goes back even before you you become a marketer for you know when you're when you're younger because and books are getting better and games yeah. are games sadly have not really made much of an advancement but you don't see the representation especially for disability you mm-hmm. just don't see it um, it's and it's a real shame because I think if we if we you know if we just started this from a young age as well as you get older you don't even have to think about it because you'll be you'll just look for things in images without realizing it, right? Yeah. You'll, you'll want to make sure that you're kind of having more of a representation because it's something you've always seen. So yeah, it's trying I, to change that behavior.
1: Totally. It's normalization. I think it's yeah. important to remember at this point that according to the UN, 15% of people of the working um, population, so that's people between 16 and 64, have a disability so we're not talking about a small subset of the population here we're talking about a really big subset um and a subset frankly that if you make the effort to appeal to them they're probably more likely to engage with you because they're we are probably frankly um not really used to this
0: yeah yeah absolutely um So we talked about digital marketing. Is there anything in addition on the print marketing side? I know that print marketing isn't um, as popular as it used to be, especially now. However, because we're all at home, when you get stuff through the post now, it's quite exciting, (laughs) especially whatever it may be. Um, But is there anything over and above what we've talked about on the digital side, because some of that can be applied to print materials, but you think that would be good to do for print marketing?
2: materials um so i think text size is important one of my pet peeves is getting a flyer that's you know a flyer a poster whatever it is that's so covered in text that it just it hurts my brain (laughs) so you know more white spaces text size that's readable um and i think i think 12 point is like the absolute minimum recommended so i think it's kind of thinking 12 point above is is advisable um, italics can be really difficult and i can only you know i can only speak from dyslexia but italics are make it harder for mm-hmm. someone with dyslexia to probably read um, color contrast as well in your flyers um, i would even go down to even the type of paper because sometimes the gloss on a paper can make it really hard to distinguish the letters um, mm-hmm. and i find that sometimes when reading if there's a lot of text and the paper is glossy it's harder for me to distinguish the shape of the letters. Yeah. So it takes me longer to read. So I, I'll read a book easier than I will a glossy flyer. Yeah.
1: So for me, as someone who isn't really able to access print mm-hmm. marketing, a QR code would be really yeah. helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I get something I'm interested in, even if I can only read the headline, but I would like to find out more about that, actually it would be great to be able just to scan the QR code and then be able to access it on my phone. Where I do have the text of speech.
2: Yeah. And I think, I think a lot of marketers in 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 the West think QR codes kind of don't work so much. I think the pandemic is actually sure that they do, because you know, we're all scanning QR codes left, right, and center. But they work incredibly well in Asia. And there's some really great examples of how kind of, you know, in South Korea and stuff, QR codes are just they're used in really innovative ways. And I think it's it's something we could probably, I know I could um learn from them from a marketing perspective.
0: Yeah, very embedded in mm. um, in that culture. And also, I think with the last year that we've been through, certainly for those of us who are in the UK and have had to scan, um, use QR codes whenever we've gone to certain places mm. to tell a specific app, you know, when we've been somewhere and then be alerted if you've been near someone who's got COVID-19. Um, that has made the use of QR codes a lot more normalised and a lot more... Yeah you know, just normalized really. A lot more every day. <laughs> so we said there's no excuse not to use them, really. And also because there's better adoption and it's a way of measuring print materials. Yes. Well. So, you yeah. know, there's a plus there looking at return. Yeah, adoption. definitely. <laughs> so through your many years of life, not that you're really old or anything, but, you know, we've all had many years of life. <laughs> more than a child, more than my three-year-old. Can you think of any good or bad examples of communication? So anything that really stood out to you that you thought, oh, do you know, they could do better? You know, the things or things that you see that you go, whoop, whoop, (laughs) or that just made you go, oh God, that's absolutely awful and
2: you have a cry. Um, The ones that make me cry tend to be PowerPoint presentations when there's when there's too much text so if i'm at a conference and there's a powerpoint and it has just way too much text on it i um i just it actually just yeah it just makes me want to cry because it's it's just so unmanageable the text is tiny i'm kind of like trying to look at it trying to read it and then i have to put so much concentration into trying to read what's on there uh because i require more concentration to read i don't even know what the person's saying <laughs> Um, so that's that's probably one, and I mean I've made my fair few mistakes that I I look at over my career when I've done a campaign or other, and I just I just go how, especially as someone with a disability, did I do that? Just yeah. So I, we all have to improve, even those of us with disabilities. Yeah.
1: I think from a product point of view, I've thought this for a long time. I think small print should be outlawed. Mm-hmm. It's discriminatory by its very nature, in yeah. fact. Um, how can you hold me to something that I can't read?
0: Yeah. Absolutely, Simon.
1: And I think, think if we're talking really about smart. marketing, yeah. that would be an ask for me yeah. um, in, terms of, in terms of marketing materials. Actually, why is the most important information buried in this tiny text whether that's in um in print or online Mm -hmm. that a significant proportion of your population of your audience sorry can't even read um that wouldn't be stood for um in in other walks of life i think is all i can say about that yeah
0: Mm -hmm. absolutely and Katie, going to your point about PowerPoint on screen now, I used to present a lot without um, much text on my screen, lots of visuals. Really, it was look at me. I'm mm. here to talk to you about stuff. I'm here to you know, tell you whatever it is you need to know. And if you put lots of text on the screen, people read it. So they're not really paying you much attention. Mm. But then on the flip side, when we're thinking about um, those in Asia Pacific, for example, so the, those in China, when presenting to China, actually – they want you to have more text on the screen because like Simon was talking about earlier in terms of people not having English as the first language, they're going to want to um, be able to read what you're saying. And so it it can be difficult, but then I think you just find a happy medium, don't you? Like you said, um, which I thought was really interesting that the minimum point size you should be using for a font is 12. So actually it's about, okay, if you're gonna have text on screen, Keep it clear, keep it concise. Don't be too text-heavy, but also make sure that it's easily readable. Mm.
2: So yeah. there, there's
0: a balance in, in there, isn't there? There's a compromise.
2: Yeah. Oh, and I think that's that's with with all of this, right? It's not it's not going to be perfect for everyone. Mm-hmm. So let's just get it to a stage where we can all at least get it, come away from understanding the gist. I think.
0: Yeah. Now, one of the things that you mentioned and um, I remember this so many years ago when I was a junior marketer at British Standards Institution, we had to do some testing and they literally sat us in a room with different things and they gave me this pad. So this was back in like 2003, I think. Mm -hmm. So I'm quite sure that technology has moved on since, but uh, that may still exist. I think I looked up last year to see if it does. Um, And a different different technology exists now, but I had this pad that literally it was you're going to go through this web page and you've got to go to that link there and you've got to go through and follow wherever that link goes. So I was like, okay, And uh, so this button acts as a tab. so I want you the only thing that you've got to use is your head. So I sat there for about, I don't know ten minutes, just hitting my head on this pad. And the tabs, and when you just like, if you go onto your keyboard and you just press the tab, the tabs of all the things that was going on, it took me 10 minutes to get to where I needed to get to. It was ridiculous. And actually when you're put in a situation or environment where you have some kind of um, something taken away from you, even though you don't live in it, you do have a very short window into a situation and go, oh, oh so like Simon said at the beginning have you tried using Mm. a screen reader if not do it you know because then how do you really empathize or how do you know so um I found that very impactful and that was 2003 and we're coming up what we're 2021 so gosh that's nearly 20 years ago and that lives with me daily I think about that it's like it was yesterday that's how that was on me to do it so um What tools and exercises would you recommend people should try to get a sense of how accessible their communication or their content is, or even resources that can help us to communicate better?
2: Yeah, So I think Simon mentioned a few when he talked about um, putting your website um, through an accessibility rank, kind of to rank the accessibility and highlight the the gaps. you can put any kind of graphs or images you use through some great apps. I think one is kind of called Data Wrapper. So if you're, if you're building kind of data graphs and it'll, you can then see how it looks for different types of colorblindness. So you can make sure that the colors you're using actually appear distinct and you're not just, you know, it's not just one mish of gray. Um, and I say this because my husband's colorblind so often we have this conversation. I usually just put something in front of him and say, you know, how do you see this? <laughs> He's my guinea pig. Um, I think as well, screen readers um, are important. Um, I mean, you could do, and I I would recommend this for any product, whether you're testing for um, accessibility or not, but when you're launching a product and marketing should be part of any kind of product development or or launch strategy, outline, promotion, um, you usually do user testing. So if you're going out for user testing and there's some pools of um, There's some groups out there that'll kind of find users for you to test. One gap I found is what if I want someone with a disability to test it? You can't find it. There's, they don't have anyone in their pool. And you're just like, well, or very few. And it's like, well, that's yeah. not really helpful. <laughs> um, so you need to also kind of think of it from all angles. And I think that's where different departments working together so not just marketing in a silo but marketing with product and kind of other departments you can I think you can probably come up with some some ways to to achieve better accessibility
1: Yeah, yeah so I think for me there's three things that I would recommend. First of all, as um Katie mentioned, the wave tool um, if you just Google wave accessibility, that's a free tool that you can test a website on. Second of all uh, second and third are two. Google Chrome add-ons, again, they're free. Um, So one is called Read Aloud, which is a text-to-speech reader. Um, And the other one is called, um, I think it's yeah, it's called Reader View. And basically what that does is a bit like on your mobile phone, it translates the text into a a kind of bigger, more accessible um, text-only view. And what that will do is it will tell you whether this website is accessible not just to people who um, have visual impairments and can't read but also to those people who need um, a more streamlined standardized view of the website to get the information you need.
0: That's fantastic thank you so much and actually just while you were saying that I was thinking to myself we could do a video um, and actually test those to show people um, what exactly it is that They experience of that anyway, and I think that that even if they don't try it themselves, if they got a way of actually saying, "Oh wow, oh wow," and then hopefully that would also encourage them if they haven't done it already. Because I, I now want to go straight away and use this wave accessibility tool and have a look at our website, thinking, "My goodness, you know, how accessible are we really?" Uh, You know, I'm doing a podcast on this, so by the time this podcast comes out, I will have done this.
2: I I think. You're not alone, right? Like, oh, gotcha. Yeah. I, I, there are ways that I definitely need to improve my, my marketing as well. And there's all these little, and you know, we constantly, we constantly have to improve because as technology gets better, things will, you know, we can do more. It's, it's easier to do it. It's, so I think we're all, we're all in the same journey.
0: So, as long as we're moving forward and progressing, Exactly. exactly, and learning lessons from each other and sharing our experiences and lessons learned. Yeah then fantastic. Um, So in terms of like those few things that we've talked about, is there anything that you would recommend to marketers to be doing as the bare minimum? So like testing or um, legislation compliance, which should be done anyway, and maybe done by a different department, um, or knowledge of um, the social model of disability. That was probably an amazing thing for me when I did that, um, when I learned about that, thinking about disability in a different way than a medical way anything that you think is a bare minimum
2: which it shouldn't be really should it but i mean i th- I think we've kind of touched most of the stuff we've touched on is bare minimum um yeah. and it's all out there you know you can go to twitter and they can they give you to make your tweet accessible there's like two things you have to do to you know if you're doing a facebook post to make it accessible there's like one or two things to do um and so i think it's just keeping abreast as well of, of the changes and the tools out there that are making all of this easier.
1: And accessibility and disability inclusion in general is about little and often.
2: Yes. Um, yep.
1: You know, it's not a, a kind of, oh, we're going to spend a week sorting this out and then it's done. Actually, it's about doing lots of little things um, and integrating them into your processes, as Katie was saying, and doing a little bit regarding that every day, whether it's taking five minutes to run your website through Mm. um, Wave, or it's taking two minutes to install the read aloud tool, etc.
0: Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. It has been incredibly insightful. Now, if you want to learn more about Publishing Enabled, we will make sure that when the website's live, the link will be available in all of our descriptions and blog posts, etc., This podcast is going to be available as a video on our YouTube and other video channels, as well as an audio file through our podcast service, um, which will be available on the website, theinternationalbunch.com. And there'll also be a transcription, which will be available as a blog post. So to remember to also check out um, our masterclass link that I mentioned with other hints and tips. We are proactively now creating more accessible content and we'll certainly be taking a lot of takeaways from today in what we should be doing um so you can get in touch with us at team at com if you want to about anything and then um it also if you want to be involved in one of these podcasts so simon katie thank you so much thank you
1: thanks for having us